KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Just days before we reached two years since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine, there was a major development. Vladimir Putin's opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, died in a penal colony. The cause of his death remains unclear, while the timing of it has experts suspicious. I'm not sure why this moment, which does make you think a little bit. Most sources are saying that they feel that he was killed, whether it was directly or indirectly. Dr. Melissa Chuckars is a professor and the chair of history at St. Joseph's University. She and her colleague, Dr. Lisa Baglioni, study Russia and the war extensively. With the Russian presidential election, if you can call it that, looming next month and the war with Ukraine dragging on, they think now more than ever the stakes are high if Russia were to gain the upper hand. We're talking about enormous violence that's going to change people's lives. People are going to be massacred. Children will be taken from their parents. Culture will be ruined. But there will be a lot of deaths. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio in depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. An update on the Russia Ukraine war, where each side is vulnerable, and what the next year could bring. We had actually set to have this discussion, kind of a broad view of the, you know, two years into this war, before word that Alexei Navalny had died. First of all, for people that maybe have heard the name but don't know the context of who he is, Lisa, can you just kind of give us a quick primer on who Alexei Navalny was and why he was so important and why Vladimir Putin was so scared of him? Sure. Thank you. So Navalny was a an anti-corruption crusader and a political activist. He was successful because for, for many reasons. First of all, he had an amazing personality and, and charisma. Second of all, he had really great organizational skills. So starting in about 20... 20- 11, he created something called the Anti-Corruption Foundation, in which he was really looking into finding out where, where money was going and, and trying to uncover the various kinds of corruption in the Putin regime. Uh, that led to his being able to uh, be one of the most important organizers in the, in the protests for the December 2011 elections that were stolen. And, and he had a lot of success with because he had created networks across the country. People came out. He um, got under the Kremlin skin, was charged with embezzlement in 2013, but he ran for Moscow mayor in 2013, too. And he came in with something like 27 percent of the vote, which I think that shocked the Kremlin. I mean, that maybe doesn't sound like much, but these are multi-person races, uh, and it still was significant when they were trying to really undermine him. And then he just continued with his foundation to keep to keep out there. He would call uh, United Russia the party of crooks and thieves, and that resonated with people. Uh, and he was really great at making videos in the last five years. He, well, his most, probably his the one that got the most views uh, was one in which he uncovered Putin's palace, uh, which is where Putin, most people believe Putin hid out for much of the pandemic satellite coverage. And it was a wonderful video. And then in addition, he was able to do an expose video of his own poisoning uh, in which he 
got the person he 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 was able to get the person who was involved in actually administering the poison, if I remember correctly, to admit to him on the phone. He pretended he was a KGB official to admit uh, to to having carried it out. So he has been amazing in his investigative uh, in his investigative capabilities. He's also been so funny and so. Uh, willing to just throw it in the face of the regime and stand up to the regime and speak truth to power. And then I think the fact that he was poisoned, he's the one who was poisoned back in August of 2020. Uh, He gets saved uh, uh, because of what Russians actually do and then gets to Germany, is cured or recovers in Germany, but he goes back and he goes back to his his death. and, And he knew that. Melissa, kind of talk about at this point, as we're recording this on Monday, he dies in prison. And this was not like a county prison. This is basically it sounds like to me as a, a you know, an outsider, like a gulag he he dies in. Do we think he was killed in the prison or did he die just because it was awful conditions and he had been through so much? Can we get our arms around that at this point? Is it clear? No, we really don't know for sure, I think is the most important thing to say at this point on Monday, February 19th. We're not 100 percent sure. But um, it is it is clear that his body is missing and his mother went to get the body and the body was not given to her and she was told it went to a different place. And, um, you know, her his, his wife, Navalny's wife, Yulia Navalnaya, has made a statement today and she has uh, been th- been saying that perhaps they're not releasing the body because it, he was poisoned and they're waiting for the poison to dilute itself in some way that would be less traceable. So I think, you know, Lisa had also looked into a l- little bit more about in terms of the prison. But I think you're right. This is a large prison colony. So um, in Russia – Prisoners have to work, uh, and so that's what he was doing. And apparently, he, you know, they this that what we've learned about what he when the moment he actually died may not really be what now we're learning. Right. So I, I was trying to f- see what I could find, and I just want to underline that we really don't know. There are some reports coming out of the prison that uh, he was actually dead earlier. Uh, that. At least that prisoners learned that he had died at 10 a.m. their time, which would have been 8 a.m. Moscow time. The official reports are that Navalny fell ill at 1 p.m. and died at 2.17. Now, there are other – now, again, these are coming from prisoners, and I have – this is from Medusa, uh, which is this great organization. You know, the Russian state has thrown it out of of Russia but still does amazing work. So uh, I just wanted to give them credit, and and I certainly don't have any special access. But they were saying that the prisoners suspect he actually – some of them suspect he died the night before because they were saying that their night routine was very different from from normal. And then um, in the morning, they announced that there would be an inspection. Uh, and they usually learn of an inspection about a month before. The protocol is a month before. So, And they learned about the inspection around the same time of Naval, that, that they learned about Navalny's death. So there's suspicion. Uh, the fact that they're not returning the body is, is very suspicious. Melissa, is there something, let's assume for a moment that something specifically untoward happened that caused 
Navalny's death in prison. This it, Then it was not just he died as a result of. Is there something about this moment in time that would lead you to believe that there was a reason to move on him now? No, I actually find it a little surprising given that the elections are coming up in March. Um, I, I, I'm not sure why this moment, which does make you think a little bit. I mean, he, he certainly was very weak. He couldn't not be weak. He's living and working in a penal colony where he's not fed a normal diet. Um, and he's spending time in solitary confinement. And so there's, you know, this, this is not a healthy individual. There's no way. Um, so it, it is possible, but most sources are saying that they feel that he was killed, whether, like you said, it was directly or indirectly. I think that, that the thing that's so striking about this moment is that he really is the leading dissident in Russia. And I think it's really important to note, and Lisa was giving the background story here, is that he was poisoned, he went to Germany to recover, and then he went back to Russia. But in someone who went back to Russia, he 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 allows himself to be someone that can be lobbied around more and supported more. Whereas a lot of like what Lisa was just describing in terms of these media organizations like Medusa and there are others, um, they're doing great work. Uh, but they're doing it outside of Russia, in Latvia or Lithuania or other places in the EU. Uh, and a lot of the dissidents that that exist uh, surrounding themselves and often around these media, people like um, like uh, Dmitry Muratov, who won the uh, Nobel Peace Prize and is from Novaya Gazeta, um, these folks are living outside of the country. So the fact that he went back, I think, is really significant. And I'm just going to quote something that uh, he said uh, in, ret- in returning. You know, he said, I don't want to give up my country or my beliefs. If your beliefs are worth something, you must be willing to stand up for them. And if necessary, make some sacrifices. Uh, and so I think a lot of us are wondering, why did he go back? He knew he would probably be killed. But he did so in a way that 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 could rally some serious support around him. And his wife, Yulia Navalnaya, has said today that she will stand up and um, and sort of, you know, take the baton from him and is, is willing to start to fight for her country. And we'll see what happens with that. So let's talk now about the the war specifically. And maybe we can tie the threads together later on. But Kind of in the overview, it seems like for the first time that Russia is making advances and having success that has kind of pushed past what it sounds like as an outsider had been stalemate kind of for a long time. Uh, Lisa, I'll start with you. Is that a fair look at it? And if so, what's happening now? I don't think I would call that fair. I think that... um, Yes, Avdivka fell, uh, but there's virtually nothing left to Avdivka. Um, the initial, you know, what happened is initially, as you know, Russia made enormous, enormous progress, but didn't get to Kiev and was stopped. Russia, it holds 17 percent of Ukraine's pre-2014 territory. That's only a little bit more than pre-war Okay, Uh, it has experienced 315,000 casualties. That's a CIA estimate that some people think is conservative. Six experts from the Brookings Institution, when asked, is Russia winning, all said no. And this was last week. They all said no. So when they use when, when we use the word stalemate, yes. Now, does Russia have advantages? Russia has advantages in the short run. It absolutely does. And it especially has those advantages if the U.S. and 
the and the other parts of the West are not funding Ukraine. And so many people, you know, say, hey, we have to be smarter about what happens. What happened during 2023, actually pre-2023, the Russians were able to dig in and build like really, really uh, strong trenches to protect their people. So taking back the, the territory was very, very difficult. And the Ukrainian offensive did not achieve what it had hoped to achieve. But that doesn't mean that Russia is winning. Uh, Ukraine just didn't win when we hoped it would win. Right. Uh, and this is a is unfortunately going to be a long war. Uh, I think the thing for Americans and others to remember is that Russia is vulnerable. Ukraine is more vulnerable right now, but Russia is vulnerable. And if we back off, if we pretend that Russia's victory we believe that Russia's victory is inevitable. That only strengthens Russia in so many different ways. And so we have to realize that Ukraine is is fighting back, but it is in difficult straits, but we can do something. I like to liken it to some to a patient that needs medicine and maybe a change in treatment, and then it can get back on its feet. And don't let that 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 opponent um, win when that opponent is vulnerable. Melissa, yeah, give me your thoughts of kind of where we are in this moment in the war. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, President Zelensky had made a really good point, you know, that we shouldn't keep asking, you know, is Ukraine going to win or is it going to lose? The question really is, is is what is Putin doing and kind of how can we stop him? Why is it that Putin is still keeping up with this? Um, So for me, kind of looking back at the last two years, I think one of the places that I see a lot of failure, of course, are the sanctions. That didn't seem to work at all. And it's interesting because the two-year point is coming up and, and once again, we're discussing sanctions. The United States is talking about it. France is talking about it. Germany. Um, and, and this will probably happen, but it doesn't seem to really be working. Um, I think, you know, the things that Lisa was saying that it does it does feel very frustrating to sort of see everybody dug in and not a lot of movement. So there was, you know, a lot of discussion of this offensive and a counteroffensive and maybe another offensive. And it's not a lot of movement that's hard as a bystander to sort of watch that. And I think it's hard maybe for Americans in terms of, of support. But without support, uh, Ukraine is going to be in a lot of trouble. We need to take a break on KYW News Radio in depth. We will have more of our discussion about the Russia Ukraine war coming up. But right now, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord hybrid and the CRV hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda, KBV.com's best value brand of 2023. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. And now let's return to our conversation on KYW News Radio in depth on the Russia Ukraine war. Our guest, Dr. Lisa Balioni, she's a professor of political science, and Dr. Melissa Chekar, she's a professor and chair of the history department, both teach at St. Joseph's University. I feel like we are in a very important point in this war because. There is a very black and white choice in front of the American people in the 2024 presidential election when it comes to this. Joe Biden obviously has been doing all he can to support Ukraine. Donald Trump 
struggles to even mention Vladimir Putin's name. And I would imagine the Kremlin is looking at this and saying, well, if we can just find a way to stay on or, you know, stay where we are and until Trump returns to power, if he were to to win the election, uh, it would obviously be much better for Russia because I don't think not only would you probably not get the support to Ukraine, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a second Trump administration throw their support behind Russia, either directly or indirectly. Lisa, do you think when you look at it through that, is that kind of do you think that's in the calculus of of the Kremlin at this point? Absolutely. Absolutely. The greatest the the the, the longstanding geostrategic goal of the old Soviet Union and and Putin readopted this was to to remove the United States from Europe, U.S. remove U.S. commitment to Europe. And what's so horrifying is that Americans are choosing this on their own or with the help of RT and, um, and others. Uh, and this is not good for the United States. And I just want to underline when, when Melissa was saying this would be bad for Ukraine and, and – it's it's in the sense of like think of what Russia does or what we have seen it will do. It's not just like, oh, how sad they're going to have new leadership or they'll have a new political party. No, we're talking about um, enormous violence that's going to change people's lives. People are going to be massacred. People are going to be uh, uh, children will be taken from their parents. Uh, places will be, culture will be ruined, but there will be a lot of deaths. And then that will create a lot of of um, people will try to flee. In addition, I think we're forgetting what message this sends globally. Uh, you know, this sends a message that that the West, that the United States is not going to back countries that have been, that are being attacked by bullies and and that and that the inter- international law prime uh, really essential parts of international law the bo- borders can be changed with force this is a very bad message to send globally and so it's 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 really shocking to me that people can be so casual about this and think in terms of of not realizing that Americans are not fighting and dying in this war, but Ukraine is standing up for American security against Russia, believe it or not. And a Russian victory will mean hell for people from Ukraine. It will also create interesting and negative effects for the U.S. around the world as as people in Europe, as people in the global south, as people in East Asia, realize that the United States just cares about itself, and that will have uh, have terrible consequences. One of the things, because right now we're in a funding fight, and the Senate has passed a funding aid bill, The obviously the White House would sign off on it, but it hasn't been brought to the floor in the House, and I think if it was brought to the floor, it would pass pretty easily in the House of Representatives. There just is this one section of the GOP. And and to be fair on this, it is not the entire Republican Party. It is just this one section that leans more pro-Russian than one would think in this day and age. But 
I think a lot of times people hear these numbers like $60 billion. I'm like, why are we spending all that money there? And people just have this idea that we're just dropping a truck of money off in Ukraine with no idea where to spend it. In reading in this, and correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of the money we give to Ukraine ends up getting spent with U.S. companies. When it So, yes, we're handing that money over, but a lot of it comes back. Am I correct on that, Melissa? Well, a lot of it is 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 ammunition um, and and weapons and equipment, and that a lot of that is paid is is U.S. companies that are producing those things. So you're right in a sense we're we're turning it around and pouring it back into our own companies. Um, I think the ammunition in particular is one that's really important, and that's what Ukraine is is missing a lot right now. Um, I've heard that Russia has you know it's almost five to one in terms of the am, amount of ammunition that Russia has, and compared to Ukraine, and that's that's getting to be pretty dangerous. Uh, I think one of the things you know, and again back to this kind of concept of stalemate. Um, of course, the war is fighting; people are dying every day. There's 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 things going on across this border, but we're not seeing any massive changes, and that's hard to convince people. And so even and I agree with everything that you said that, of course, it's, you know, it's the, the numbers of people who are actually opposed to this are smaller, but um, but it is really serious. Um, I do also wonder that, you know, that that it might stay the same for a while. And that's the hard part is to convince people to hang in there. Um, and I think Lisa was really trying to say that. But I wonder also, you know, Putin himself is going to kind of try to just hang on and keep things the way they are until the U.S. election is over. And then he'll sort of see where we're at at that point. Yeah, there's, there are three military analysts that have put out a piece and they call it hold, build, strike. There, this is there. It's um, Michael Kaufman, Rob Lee, and Dara Masico, and they were saying, "Look, the Ukrainians need to hold where they are this year. Take that time to rest, build, uh, and then, and in process, also strike behind the lines of Russia." I also want to stress: I, I really think that Russia could be vulnerable, and I think that this could be. I mean, when when I first heard that Navalny was dead. I thought, how could this be? It's a month before the election. Why this timing is really uh, doesn't make any sense. But it could be this uh, this attempt to really eliminate all sense of hope or option throughout Russia. There was a time during this war where you started to hear a lot of stories about people being unhappy in Russia about it. And I don't want to say uprising because but that there was. You you started to think, oh, maybe there's more pockets where something could turn. Do we get any feel inside Russia that there's pushback to this war and now Navalny's death on top of it? Because I don't feel like we hear anything of that in the mainstream press anymore, Melissa. Yeah, it's a it's very small pockets, like you said, and I think there was some speculation that maybe Navalny was killed in January because it's really cold, so people aren't going to be outside as much and protesting as much. Um, you know, I I don't know. Uh, there are about four hundred people who've been detained. I think at this point, um, that's not a lot. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think everyone's looking and hoping to see if something changes, but so far, not 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 a big not not enough. And to kind of close our discussion, what are things you are looking for? What are kind of things you're keeping an eye on? Obviously, you mentioned the elections next month. And once again, we use the air quotes for elections. But are there other things you're you're looking for that could kind of be signs of, of where we are headed? Melissa, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, I think the elections, I mean, the elections in Russia, but but most importantly, the elections in the United States, everybody's looking to this. Is the U.S. going to support Ukraine or not? And however that's going to come about, I think is really important. Um, one thing that I've I've been kind of watching are, are is the refugee situation. So it's really sort of interesting is right when this war happened, about 17 million people left Ukraine. It was a, it was a massive refugee crisis, really. Um, what's interesting is 60 or 70 percent of those people have gone home. Uh, and again, it, you know, that kind of support, like we want to go home and we want to support our country, even if we have to suffer through this. Um, so I think kind of watching the Ukrainian people and 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 this is this is an awful mess that's going to last a long time and as we've been saying isn't going to change much for a while. So the resilience of the Ukrainian people I think is pretty amazing and and certainly we're supporting and watching. Lisa? Yeah, I'm going to watch of whether there is a funeral. What are they going to do with this body? And is there going to be a funeral and 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 uh what will happen with that? Um, will there be protests around that? I'm going to watch to see what happens to uh, another dissident, not quite so prominent, but did something similar in that he went back, uh, Vladimir Karamurza, um, and he is in a similar gulag, but not in the worst well, um, not in the worst conditions, the, the higher uh, security one. I, I will see what, what happens to him. And um, again, let's look at what happens on the election day. What is turnout? When is turnout? Uh, and are ballots spoiled? Like another thing, they might not, people might not be able to uh, to, to write in in the old Soviet system, you had to go to the side and actually write, and so it was very obvious. But there might be other ways to spoil ballots, um, and we'll see what happens there. Now, we also know that there's a machine that creates uh, the appearance of overwhelming support, but it'll be interesting to see. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.